0: Hello, and welcome to the Aguilar Conversations, a global perspective. I'm Tony Aguilar. On today's podcast, Pope Francis has inaugurated a three-year consulting process to deal with how decisions are made within the Roman Catholic Church. With issues such as the LGBTQ community and women's ordination being a point of contention, this conference may have the potential to revolutionize the way decisions are made within the Roman Catholic Church but will this senate of bishops lead to profound changes next <laughs> a Rome-based reporter for Religious News Service, where she covers the Catholic Church and the Vatican, and she is covering the Synod of Bishops in Rome with Pope Francis. Clara, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Let me ask you this. What actually led to this conference of bishops uh, that's now taking place in Rome?
1: So, when Pope Francis was thinking about what would be the next topic to have the church reflect on? Um, He says that he realized that a lot of the questions that were coming from people were about what is a synod? What do we mean when we talk about synodality? And so he felt that the church really needed to think about that. And it might seem, I think, for onlookers, for people who are not used to the Vatican, for people who know nothing about Catholicism, like the most boring thing in the world, But under Pope Francis, to talk about synodality means to talk about how do we organize power? How do we make decisions? How do we come together and overcome all the noise that's happening outside and come up with real solutions for real problems? And also, how do we enact the promises and hopes of the Second Vatican Councils? And that's what this whole long process Of consultation at the parish level, and then at the diocesan level, and then at the bishops conferences level, and then back to the Vatican, and then to the continental level. This is what it's led to. And Pope Francis, midway through the pro through this project, said, We need more time because the topics that are being brought up are complicated and they're making people upset and angry and tense and nervous. And so he announced last year that he was going to make the Synod of Bishops, which is no longer a Synod of Bishops, which I think is telling, um, into a two-year event. So we're going to meet this year and again next year.
0: Part of that, and you, you brought that up, there's been some consternation. As you know, in the United States, there's a huge conservative contingent of bishops who have been very critical. of of Pope Francis, uh, particularly people like Bishop Strickland from out of Texas, people like that, Um, even people wishing for violence against the Pope because they think he's going to change the fundamental understanding of the Roman Catholic Church. And so I believe that a number of them have sent what they call the dubia to, to the Pope asking questions about certain issues within the church my question to you is while you're looking at how the rules should be made and how the church should be governed is there not a power play also at work here in terms of the bishops their power stems from the ability to exclude or include and to prohibit so are they really concerned about that and could that lead to bishops perhaps having less power within the church governance of the Roman Catholic Church.
1: I think you have hit the nail on the head. We were talking about power structures, right, earlier, and the Synod is going to address precisely that. Now, we know that, I wouldn't call it a huge resistance in the United States. There are some bishops who have been vocal in their opposition to the Synod, And there are such bishops everywhere. Um, Last week, we found that a letter was circulating from uh, the former bishop of Hong Kong, Joseph Zen, uh, where he complains and he's worried about what's going to happen at the synod. Um, And they are right to be worried because the synod is going to involve a wider net of consultation than possibly since the early days of the church. And it's no longer tables where just bishops and cardinals are present. There's all types of people who are present. We don't know a lot about what's happening inside the hall, but we know that they're addressing topics like LGBTQ inclusion. They're talking about female ordination. They're talking about probati that's married priests, and, and polygamy, and, and, and questions that are important to all parts of the church. So they're, they're right to be concerned about what is going to emerge from this. Now, at the same time, what's going to emerge from that really has to do with the kind of conversation that happens in there where they have a say. Conservative prelates have been invited to talk. And what's most likely, if you're asking for my opinion as a Vatican observer, is that this, as they've said many times, this synod is not going to change doctrine, but it's going to change the way decisions are made at the Vatican and, and in the church. And that might mean that bishops might not be you know, kind of unconnected or or as free as they were. Or they might be even more free, but with more responsibility about the kind of oversight that they exercise in their diocese, which could have tremendous implications from abuse to the way, you know, they behave when they say something against the Pope. But that door is still wide open and we don't know yet what's going to what's going to emerge. Um, I know that, you know, Pope Francis has said that Changes in doctrine, changes in doctrine are off the table. But that doesn't mean that if we change the way decisions are made, then doctrinal doctrinal changes might not happen further down the line.
0: That's what I wanted to, to ask you about. Because to say that doctrine won't change would make a consultative body like this irrelevant. If if you if you just take that right off the table, because if you're going to change the way decisions are made because decisions are made about doctrine. Doctrine has changed over the years, over the centuries. So, you know, when you say they, they may be right to be concerned about certain things, that may change because these would be radical movements within the Roman Catholic Church. My question to you, Pope Francis, do you think he has a predilection to move towards things like ordination of women, um, Blessing of same-sex unions, because why bring those things up if there's not a predilection to move towards that in some form or fashion?
1: Mm. So I don't think it's Pope Francis bringing these issues up. Uh, in fact, I know it isn't. The what has been what it became the Instrumentum Laboris, which is the working document of the synod, was born from conversations in parishes. And I think you just need to be, and any Catholic will realize, and and by the way, I work for a company that covers all religions. And the topic that is tearing at the heart of most religions right now is the question of LGBTQ faithful. It is really at at the core of profound tensions about faith and what we believe. And people are talking about this in parishes. They're talking about it at dinner tables. They're talking about it everywhere. And of course, if the church is going to lead a massive consultation of faithful about what is making you worried right now, they're going to say, well, what do I do if my son comes to me and says that he's gay? What should the parish do if a young girl says she's bisexual? What, how are we supposed to answer? The doctrine says this is intrinsically disordered. In fact, the, the doctrine department at the Vatican, the, depart, the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, said it's intrinsically disorder. And they said that the church cannot bless sin. These are harsh words that we've always sort of respected in the church, but but things are changing and moving in such a way where maybe the church needs to find out a new way. My understanding of Pope Francis is that he's not really into the dogma, the big documents, the pronouncements. He's more interested in the pastoral approach. All right, so God says this, and and let's say that 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 these things are are considered sin but when i'm in front of you as a catholic as a priest as a bishop of rome in the case of the pope i will be charitable to you now where that line is drawn are the things that they're talking about in the senate but it's not the pope who wants gay priests or 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 wants this or that no it's the people of of god who are talking about this and they care about it and I, I think that actually, when I've asked the Pope about female ordination in the past, he said uh, it's off the table. I mean, J- John Paul II already made up his mind. So I, I would say sometimes we tend to uh, say that John Paul, that Pope Francis, is, is very liberal, but he really isn't that much you know, in, in many things.
0: So given that, if that's the case, and you've been Watching the Pope for, for a number of years uh, in terms of what he does. You've spoken to him, um, His Holiness, about uh, what he believes, so forth and so on. So, then why is there, in some circles, a, a sense of criticism about which direction they think he's taking the church, if indeed he's saying certain things like that are indeed off the table? So, what's driving his opponents? to go against him. Um,
1: I spend a lot of time also talking to papal critics, and the word that comes out of their mouth most frequently is the term confusion. Now, uh, when Pope Francis talks about some of these issues, uh, He it can be confusing. Because on one hand, he will say things that are deeply offensive, for example, for uh, LGBTQ Catholics. On the other hand, he will meet privately with a prime minister and his husband at the Vatican, right? Uh, A male prime minister and his husband. And, and, And that tension of opposites for certain types of Catholics and certain types of faithful is it creates what they call scandal among the faithful because they don't know what to believe in. And I think that Pope Francis, and I don't know if he's going to be successful in this effort that he's trying to undertake. I am watching it with a sort of sociological interest to see how effective it is. But he thinks that sometimes we can hold these opposites, these polarities, as he calls them, in tension. And And that's okay. And I know that for certain people, especially for people who are conservatives, right? So people who like things as they have been, who have a certain set of values that are enshrined in in their beliefs, I think that they find that disconcerting. And that it might send a message to faithful that is wrong. And then you always have people who take what the Pope says, and they run with it. And they do the you know, stuff that I don't think even the Pope would really appreciate. But the Pope, Pope, I don't know if you're aware of the German synodal path, the synodal way that's taken place in Germany. So in Germany, they've had a massive consultation of Catholics, very similar to what's happening now at a church level. But the German church, which is well known for sort of having its uh, singularities, really pushed forward a progressive agenda So far that they went on to bless same-sex couples openly on the street. And German prelates and cardinals have advocated for that. Now, the Vatican and Pope Francis have put a pause on that effort. They have slowed them down. While at the same time, telling people who are way on the conservative side, you need to slow down. I think Pope Francis is trying to walk a middle line, which, depending from where you stand, could look more to the right or to the left.
0: So, given that, and because we here in the United States, we do hear a more liberal pope. Now, liberalism and conservatism, depending upon uh, what context you're talking about, has to be taken, you know, in a relative matter. You know, within the Roman Catholic Church, liberal, you know, liberal Catholicism does not mean what liberalism would mean you know, obviously in in political sense. But so how does this tension then get resolved? Because his critics are not going away and his supporters will stay there as well. But at some point, the Pope will have to make clear where he stands because he's the leader of the Roman Catholic Church. So how does this get resolved? Or does he think that the consultative body will resolve it for him.
1: Yeah, that's, I wish I had a magic ball and I could see into the future, but I, I do think that's what a lot of people are are wondering. You know, I was on a flight once and I can't remember which trip it was. I it might have been Malta, but one of my colleagues uh, asked Pope Francis, and he said, you know, you have a lot of critics in the United States. Actually, this also happened again, coming back from Mongolia. And the Pope said, too bad. Like, I've got critics, so what? And you can't occupy a position like the one of the Pope without being prepared for criticism. And every Pope has faced tremendous criticism. And especially in these days where we have a very polarized church because there are very polarizing issues taking place, as always, in the history of 2000 and 23 years of this institution, there have been different positions on separate issues. And the Pope, how is he going to resolve it, to answer your question? I think in one sense, he's prepared to take the brunt of it, uh, of the criticism. In the other sense, I think this synod on synodality is a way of saying, how do we come together and make decisions if we are so divided? And also one thing that I think goes back to what you said before, recognizing that strong Advo- like vocal opposition is a smaller reality than what the the whole catholic churches um, yes a few prelates in the united states are mad at the pope because they think that he shouldn't have banned the mass the latin mass and he shouldn't have said that uh, who am i to judge talking about hom- homosexuality and all of that but then there is also prelates in in Africa who have completely different concerns. There's 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 uh, people who who are in Jerusalem or in Israel in, in in Israel and they have completely different concerns. Or in Yemen or in Egypt. And just I think that the Pope is getting all of that every day, and he knows that the objection of just a few American prelates is not the end of the world. And it will be up to the Synod or, in his view, the Holy Spirit to come up with an answer to these problems.
0: How does some of this, how how would this affect his ecumenal aspect of, of his ministry, working with other denominations as well as other faiths? Will this have an effect on that in terms of what comes out of this um, consultation over this year and next year? Will that affect that as well?
1: You know, I think that's really interesting. Uh, because the this synod started out with a big celebration in St. Peter's Square where representatives from different Christian denominations all came together and prayed. Now, to me as a Vatican observer, I'm like, why is the Anglican Church praying for a Catholic synod? Why would they care? And yes, I think... I do think it's going to change the way that at least when it comes to christian denominations those relationships work and you know synod is something that an orthodox church is very well known uh also in eastern rites. um and maybe there's something that the catholic church can learn from that uh and vice versa so Again, it's we'll see what, what comes out of it, but there's definitely interest. And, and Pope Francis, like John Paul II and Benedict XVI, has done tremendous work to try and improve those relations.
0: Do you think this will lead to a Vatican III?
1: You know, I think when I have asked Synod officers this question, they say, we haven't even enacted Vatican II. <laughs> how can we think about Vatican three when a lot of the things that were being discussed in Vatican II are really still Vatican II had a sort of prophetic dream of this involved laity of this charism of the ordinary rank and file Catholic coming up and having a voice in the church. That's not what we've seen since Vatican II. That was 1963 to 1968. That's not what we've seen. Like, We have seen um, a church that is highly clericalized uh, where often prelates are treated like they're better than others. And I'm saying this as someone who has witnessed how sometimes the the church works in south of Italy, how it works in the United States, how it works in Africa. And there is still this sense where, where are lay people and, and how can they be engaged? And more interestingly, the second question is, if lay people are engaged, does that mean that the church is automatically better? So these questions that are all from Vatican II haven't been addressed. And honestly, uh, I don't know how they could even start grappling with a Vatican III.
0: <laughs> but part of that, you know, in, in what you have said, you know, as I look at local congregations, you know, being from New York, um, you know, reaching the age that I have, I have certainly have seen more laity involvement in church in Catholic congregations, anyway, I'm a Lutheran, but I've seen more in Catholic congregations than there was prior to that. It's not where they were projecting it to be or where they may have wanted it to be. But the question I would ask you is that this this conference that will take place over the next two years has also given hope to people about a direction that the church may head into. You know, I've heard from... Uh, women who want to be ordained within the church and they they're expressing a sense of optimism i've heard from uh, gay and lesbian folks within the catholic church who think that this is this is a hopeful sign and so the the question i would have is at the end of this two years are a lot of people in for a serious letdown
1: um yes The answer is yes. Um, I've also spoken to representatives of those groups and I know that there is a lot of hope and expectation into the synod. The same way I think you could feel hope and expectation for previous synods, like the synod on the Amazon region, synod on young people, they always have this underlying theme that maybe this is the time when the church will finally allow such and such and such and such and we will finally feel accepted um, as such and such and such and such, um, you know, no, the 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 I, I would be surprised if women priests were um, became the center. And also, I think here's the thing: the question of the role of women in the church is such a central role, and it's actually been proposed so strongly at the parish level and and by church uh, participants, faithful all over the world. That it would also be somewhat insulting to just be a footnote in a document that talks about synodality and ecclesiology and, and the governing of the church. In fact, I would rather say that perhaps this, the church needs a synod on women, um, because that's a whole other problem, and then come up with real and effective solutions for that. And, and maybe that's the female priesthood, um, or maybe it's female bishops, or or women cardinals, or or women being allowed to be part of the uh, council that advises the Pope. Um, but this Senate is not about that. And and everyone who thinks that this is finally going to be the chance, I think is bound to be disappointed. And and the Pope has said this, and I, I know it doesn't matter how many times he says it, how many times his followers says it, how how many times Beckhart, the first woman to be undersecretary of the Senate of bishops says it. This is not what the Senate is about. And uh, for any Catholic, uh, you know that, you know, they, they know that change in the Catholic Church takes a very long time. And if you're a fan of the Lord of the Rings, it's kind of an endmund. just takes a long time to come up with change.
0: So, so given that, um, you know, like I said, I, you know, I come out of the Lutheran tradition in turn, the ELCA, which is a more uh, liberal wing of the Lutheran uh, faith. And, you know, we've had these conversations as well. The Lutheran Church had these conversations about, you know, gay and lesbian. Obviously, women are ordained within the ELCA. They're not in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. But it does seem that if people are constantly disappointed about where their church is going to go, it seems that that sets sets up a time for a schism that people either leave, they create their own sense, because, yes, change takes a long time, but who wants to wait around for another 100 years before people are finally recognized in the full totality of who they are? So what do you think, and you've been observing the Vatican for a while, what do you think will be the response of people if they are indeed, or as you say, they will be disappointed, what do you think their response is going to be?
1: Well, um, we're already seeing the response. People are leaving the church, especially in the West. Uh, the The pews are emptying. Donations to the Pope and to the Vatican are dwindling, especially following the sex abuse scandals, and add to that the financial mismanagement. I mean, um, The people who are still holding on, the people who still go to mass every Sunday and the people who continue to be committed to the Catholic faith are fewer and fewer. And we're already seeing that. And and I'm not sure this synod is going to change it, really. Um, This synod is for the people who are in it and who are willing to muscle through and to give the church a chance. And maybe some people will give up And they'll be like, oh, well, the synodist is disappointing. I'm just giving up. And there's not much that can be done about that. Um, But at the same time, you know, (sighs) regarding a schism, uh, a schism is a whole different thing. The schism is when a whole group decides to separate to create a different church. And we've seen that in the the Catholic Church. In fact, we're very close to the uh, 500th anniversary of the Lutheran schism um so you know every 500 years the church kind of is jostled and it might happen again um the pope is has said on the record he's not afraid of his schism um interestingly enough uh i think progressives would be more tend 10 like data shows they tend more to leave the faith and maybe go to another denomination that might you know better reflect their needs their spiritual needs and beliefs um so the schism from the right from the left isn't that realistic a schism from the right is also not very believable because right now all the opposition of the right is against the person of the pope and the person of the pope doesn't last forever and um and also a big thing about being catholic is is loyalty to the pope and the conservative catholics have that as a strong tenant of their beliefs so it creates a bit of a of a hiccup in their in their efforts. So I guess my answer is I don't think there will be a schism. Um but what we might see is what is already happening, which is people leaving the faith. And I don't know if a synod can fix that.
0: You do see some growth in the global south.
1: That's it true. It tends
0: to be more conservative. Um yes. which begs the question that when it does come time for a new pope as you say popes don't last forever that they're going to look for someone who may be more along the lines of where pope benedict was in terms of conservatism where many people perceive uh, pope francis to be at would, would that be accurate um
1: yes um but here's the thing Pope Francis has elected at the moment, the majority of the conclave, what it meant, what the number of cardinals who would make a supermajority, so 61%. So a lot of the cardinals who now make up the College of Cardinals that would elect the next Pope are people who Pope Francis thinks represent his style and leadership uh, views, you know, now. The conclave that elected Pope Francis and Benedict XVI before him was a rather conservative college of cardinals. So that means that even it doesn't really matter who those cardinals are, the results might still be unpredictable. We've already seen the lobbying from conservative prelates trying to push this uh, cardinal or that cardinal who has a view that is closer to their own. Um, It's a little soon right now to predict but if you want my kind of vatican expert uh since you know watching this world very closely for a very long time um they're they're looking i think for someone who's kind of down the middle who will just slow things down even more (laughs) um because that's just the spirit of the vatican and and we might see someone who is a Bergoglian, as they say, you know, maybe a man who was close to the Pope Francis, but perhaps a figure who would also have a few maybe, uh, you know, put put the brakes a little bit on, on all this change. Um, so we'll see. I mean, there are a few names that are out there right now, but... Another thing that happens under Pope Francis's law is that instead of being rising stars, it's often shooting stars because uh, careers can go up and then go down very quickly in this pontificate. So I don't want to put out a name yet uh, for possible candidates because who knows, maybe they won't be there in a year or so.
0: You might be right. You may be right on that one. Let, let me ask you this. I want to go back for a moment to the ecumenical aspect of this because you know, Roman Catholicism is the largest denomination within Christianity, so people do watch what's happening. And as you said, they had the opening ceremony of uh, heads of denominations praying for the Catholic Senate, and they're going to watch and see what happens. How do you think the other denominations will be affected by this?
1: Well, um. My expertise is obviously the Vatican, but I think as you said very I think correctly, um what happens at the Vatican is you know, is observed and is watched by other faiths. I really think that this question of LGBTQ faithful is is a big one. And for Christian faiths, it's a it really touches something deep about the belief system and how it clashes with actual reality and the church has traditionally had a very the catholic church such a a corpus a body of doctrine and knowledge and experience that in whatever way it applies it and whatever kind of pronouncement might come out of the synod regarding that even in terms of even if it's just limited to welcoming and acceptance The way it's going to be written down and formulated and thought out, I think, will be interesting to watch for other other religions who are also facing these kinds of tensions. And some, we know, are even breaking up because of these tensions. So I, I think that's definitely something, if you take the lens and you go back and you look at what is the single most topic dividing churches right now, all over the world, but especially in the West, LGBTQ, uh, the LGBTQ community. How are they addressing it? The way the church responds will be interesting, I think, for everyone.
0: Let me ask you this, as an as an observer. Um, how do you think they will ultimately treat? The gay lesbian community, LGBTQ community. How do you think that will play out? Because in the West, particularly in the United States, um, the notion of discrimination against any group is, is anathema, and obviously would include that community as well. So, how do you think Pope Francis, who's a, who, I think at the at the end of the day is is a priest. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. he's, he's the he, he's top of the food chain. We, we get that. But at the end of the day, he's a priest, mm-hmm. and he respects his position as a priest. How do you think they're going to handle this at the end of the day? From what you've observed of him, even though he, doesn't, he says doctrine won't change. But I, I can't imagine him not figuring out a way through this process that he's going through of how to welcome that community um, in some form or fashion. I could Mm -hmm. be wrong, but how do you see it?
1: Well, this is what I think that the church, as I mentioned before, has a long-term approach to things, just principally, bureaucratically. And what I have observed is, and what I see Pope Francis pushing for is, first of all, the change in language. The language that the Catholic Church has used to refer to the LGBTQ community and faithful has been extremely hurtful. Words like intrinsically disordered, uh, words like sin are are hurtful for people who believe in God and want to participate in communion and be part of their parish and, and are part of the LGBTQ community. So I think that we actually have seen Pope Francis get very mad and retaliate against the use of language that is hurtful. And after that, after eliminating that, and as you said, the pastoral approach, right? The priest, the pastor. I mean, I covered a group of transsexual transsexual sex workers who were all put on a bus by their parish priest, brought inside the Vatican thanks to the papal almoner, who takes care of the charity of the Pope, got their vaccine and a whole medical checkup, even though they were many of them immigrants, many of them without the proper paperwork and taken care of inside the Vatican. These kinds of facts, not doctrine, have tremendous impact. Um, just that echoes far beyond if the the DDF, the, the, the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, released a document saying, you know what, uh, you know, let's not call it sin anymore. Um, Because you see it in the actions of the church, and I think we're going to see it far more in the actions of the church, and perhaps in a church made up of mostly white old men. (laughs) Well, not white, but like a lot of them are. Having a inject a big change of who is priest, who is cardinal, who has a final say, who makes decisions, will also slowly change the culture like we're seeing at the Synod. And one day, Pope Francis often talks about starting processes, Just is a terrible word for journalists. I'm like, oh, when's, when am I gonna get the news? <laughs> but down the line, what Pope Francis is doing today is gonna have a result. And, and, and I think it will create the possibility for maybe not, definitely not this Pope, but the Pope of the future to say, to maybe make that change in doctrine and say, you know, we've learned from our mistakes like we did on the death penalty.
0: Long-term. Oh yeah. (laughs) Are you hopeful about the direction of the Roman Catholic church? Doctrine notwithstanding, but long-term, are you hopeful? Are you optimistic?
1: You know, I am I always try to cover the Vatican as I would cover Washington, D.C. So with a certain degree of detachment, um, hopeful for me, uh, you know, and, and hopeful as as Claire as a reporter are two very different things. Um, but I can say this that I think will answer your question. It's just. I have seen the church at its best and at it's worst, And there are people in the Catholic Church just average people who every day worked tirelessly to good to do good. Objective good. You know, the kind of good that can't be nitpicketed or, or create polarizing debates. Just helping regular people on the street or at higher levels or trying to bring peace between warring factions. And for as long as that will exist in the church, of course, it's going to be moving in the right direction. You know, as far as the uh, leadership of the church, I mean... That's more complicated, and I think it would be the same way as being. Are you confident in where democracy is going? You know, it can, it can have its ups and downs, um, and and we'll see. Pope Francis definitely, I think, has done a lot to restore the credibility of the church worldwide, and maybe one could even put some trust in that credibility.
0: Now, one thing we didn't really touch on was the one thing that everyone attaches to the Roman Catholic Church these days because of the sexual abuse scandals. And Pope Francis has done a lot to, as you just said, to restore some credibility to uh, trustworthiness within the Church and of the Church. Um, Is that something that's coming up within um, the meetings of bishops this year as well as next year in terms of how to to deal with that issue because it's still ongoing it's still having an effect so is there discussion about that
1: you know i recently wrote an article talking about this um it i i, I don't see sex abuse as being a central theme it is just an underlying theme as it has been for every synod and for every event in the church because it has been such a massive hit to the entire institution, um, the things we've discovered regarding sexual abuse. Um, but is it being discussed? Abuse victims are have a voice at the Synod of some sorts. Um, maybe it's not being discussed enough. And the problem with the Vatican is that it does have a problem with being so centralized and hierarchical. When it comes to sexual abuse, yes, the Pope has enacted a series of reforms like Estis Lux Mundi, which is a document that requires mandatory reporting for abuse by part of clergy members and not clergy members to the author- the appropriate authorities. Um, it, he, he enlarged the understanding of victims to also include vulnerable adults, which I think is very important because we've seen the sexual abuse of religious sisters and seminarians and all kinds of dynamics. Um, but at the same time, the Pope has shown that he has, um, because of his sometimes emotional way of leadership, a, a weakness when it comes to defending his friends. And if you have an institution where the power is concentrated into a single individuals without a set of checks and balances, as the United States proves so magnificently in many occasions, um, then you can really create um, some situations that are not very good. And the Pope has defended people who, who were found... You know, guilty of abuse, and he has done that because they were his friends, because he didn't want to believe the calumnies against them, and then he had to retract and change his mind. So if the Synod really does change the way decisions are made in the church, then perhaps thinking about how do we put in those checks and balances on many levels to ensure that it's not the word of a single man that decides the fate of that abuse victim or that financial mismanagement or whether that woman can have a say in the church, or whether that um, gay uh, young girl can be a part of the parish, perhaps we can start seeing a better church if there's just more people involved in that conversation at all levels.
0: In a few minutes we have left. Um, I know we spoke about the critics of the Pope and, and the Pope himself has been a critic. I mean, he criticized Pope Benedict when Pope Benedict said certain things about Muslims. So it goes back and forth. But some of the criticism is reaching fever level. I mean, it's gone beyond intellectual and theological um, criticism. I think there was one um, priest, uh, Edward Staniak. I mean, it was essentially calling for, you know, Pope Francis to meet his maker soon. Yeah. I mean— so it has reached that level. So, And I know Pope Francis, you know, I don't know him, but I, I know he's a spiritual man and things like that may not necessarily bother him. But it has to be of concern to the institution in of itself that we have that kind of talk going on within certain circles of the Roman Catholic Church. You mm-hmm. know, the EWTN, the, the television network, uh, Eternal Word TV network, is very critical of the Pope. And and as we see how things play out in today's world, words have effect. And people act on those words. So is there concern about, you know, how strident some of these folks are when it comes to their criticism?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see anywhere else in the Catholic Church the kind of backlash that the Pope gets in the United States. Um, I mean, you'll have some abuse victims being very vocal when they're upset. Um, You will have maybe some progressive-leaning individuals or advocates being very critical of the Pope when it comes to women or when it comes to LGBTQ Catholics. The kind of vitriol that comes out of the United States is unique. And sometimes we forget that, you know, Catholics are, are the people in the streets with us. I mean, the, the section of people who are Catholics, especially in the United States, I mean, polls show that they are pretty, you know, down the line, 50-50, a good representative of what's happening in the whole country. They're split almost precisely 50-50 Republican Democrats. Perhaps what we're seeing in the United States is a symptom of the polarization that is part of the society. And I would say that this is, you know, let's not forget that the Vatican is in Italy and there is an Italian lens that is adopted when phenomena like this present themselves. And when, and I say this, having spoken to people, advisors and representatives and having heard the Pope himself, I think there is a sense that the public discourse in the United States has reached such a high level of vitriol, of um, polarization, that the debate is kind of gone off the rails. And so you get extremists. And the worst thing to do is to give those people weight. Now, when you mentioned Strickland, for example, you know, his diocese has been put under visitation. And there was even rumors that he might be, you know, encouraged to offer his resignation. So obviously the Pope is taking action, the usual channels that are available to the Pope through his nuncios, that is papal representatives in various states. Um, But I don't think the Pope is gonna take that too seriously. Um, In fact, I think he sees that with a degree perhaps of concern for what is happening inside the American society that brings out such anger and such polarization. And yes, there, there, there are groups, there are cohorts that strongly oppose the Pope. What are the reasons they oppose them, I think, are more political than spiritual most of the time. You know, these are the same people who perhaps would be very much against the way Pope Francis has opened the conversation towards China. Uh, And so the the political fault lines of the United States are by no means the major concern of the papacy. They've never been. And John Paul II was an exception. There was a special relationship with the United States under his pontificate. But even there, the Pope had no, he had great opposition in the U.S. Maybe in 2023, we're used to people just speaking more openly. But I've also studied the church for so long that I know that, you know, things have happened in the past to insult Popes that are much worse. The Pope was slapped in the face once, just slapped. (laughs) So... They've seen worse, and and Francis knows that, and he can take it.
0: Our guest today has been Claire Jean-Gravé, reporter for the Religious News Service. Claire, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you. This was great. Thank you for the questions.
0: And thank you for joining us. And join us again next week as we discuss another issue of global importance here on the Aguilar Conversations, A Global Perspective.
1: The Aguilar Conversations, A Global Perspective, is produced by Casa Margo Communications Group.